0: Father, we are grateful to come before you as we open your word and the spirit of prophecy. And we pray that you may be our teacher, that we all may learn what you want us to learn this afternoon. May we learn how to revive the church through our homes. and Lord, may you convict us and change us, that you may change the errors of our lives we know that is hindering your love flowing in your church and in our homes. So, Lord, we surrender our lives to you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, the presentation this afternoon is entitled Reviving the Church Through the Home. And what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to take one principle. I'm going to start off with three sections. So the first section is dating. The second section is marriage. And the last section is parenting. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to start off with dating. Take a principle where how the current culture of the world is run, and how that uh, Seventh Day Adventists are actually doing that same culture of dating inside of the church, and how that current culture of dating in the church is actually killing the church. Does that make sense? So that's what we're doing today. So um, I hope you're all in the right place because that's what we'll be focused on. <laughs> Hopefully, we're going to revive the church through the home. The second part we'll be focusing on marriage, right, and that principles, and. I, I, I'm not going to cover everything. I'm just picking two from each section, just so you can get a little picture of what really goes on. And then marriage, what's, what's happening in the culture of the world is contrary to the Word of God, and then apply it to the church. And um, in a sense of marriage, meaning that the parents in the home, there's actually parents in the church called church leaders, yeah? um, church board members, and how their bad um, marriage skills is entering into the church and hurting the church. Same thing with parenting. Bad parenting skills in the home is going into the church and it's hurting the church. And so I'm going to share with you um, my experiences. I've been pastoring 13 years in the Hawaii Conference. And um, just my experiences, what I'm seeing, um, there's a correlation. And here's a challenge. You cannot separate the home from the church. See, people are trying to separate it, um, that you can separate the home and the church, but you cannot. And you're going to see that clearly. You cannot separate the two because what happens in the home will always affect the church. And I'm going to share that with you as we go through the Word of God. So let's I invite you to turn me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter three, verse fourteen and fifteen, as our opening text. Everyone has a Bible. Ephesians chapter three, verse fourteen to fifteen, is the opening text. And everyone has handouts. Who doesn't have handouts? If you can raise your hand, um, I know my wife is going around. Does everyone have handouts? Okay, very good. Okay, look at your handout, and there's actually a quotation from the Spirit of Prophecy. Now, I'm going to bring this out more on tomorrow on dating. Tomorrow, I have one on. They asked me to do one on dating in the afternoon in a tent, and then I'm going to bring this out more on dating. But this is a very important principle, and it says here, Satan is busily engaged in influencing those who are wholly unsuited to each other to unite their what interests. So, what is Satan doing? He is Cupid, right? He's the greatest massmaker out there, right? So he's got there, and what he's doing is that he's trying to unite people who are not meant to be together. And it goes on and it says here, he exalts in this work, and it says, For by it, in other words, ruining marriages and ruining homes, for by it he can produce more misery. And hopeless woe to the human family than by exercising his skill in any other direction. Do you see this? In order, what Satan is doing is he wants to attack the home. And I all my years of ministry, I came to the final conclusion. I was trying to figure out what is the problem with the church. And I tried everything. I tried evangelistic meetings, I've done tent meetings, we've done seven tent meetings. I mean, we just, we've done so many evangelistic work, Bible workers, that I had like 40 different Bible workers. And just full-time workers and try to everything working to save the church or revive the church through the church. And you know, I came to the final conclusion. You cannot do it. The only way you can revive the church, you got to revive the home for us. Yeah. And so revive the home and then you, that will revive the church. And so you want to revive, how many want to revive a reformation in your churches? I mean, are, you, are your churches perfect out there? That like you go to your church and you're like, wow, this is like, this is number out of one, one to 10 is a 10. I mean, do you feel that way or do you feel like our churches need a revival today? What do you say, huh, amen? amen? And so everywhere I go, I see that our churches need a revival and it begins in the home. So Satan sees this and so he's destroying the home. For by destroying the home, he will have destroyed the church. And you look around today and Satan has almost succeeded, true? I mean, we go, I hear it all the time, people going to church, and they don't want to even go to church anymore. I don't know how you feel, but stay on God's ship. What do you say, amen? Amen. And God will correct the ship if anything goes wrong. So, may God help us to see the connection here and make the changes. Where is God's family located? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 and 15 in your Bibles. The Bible says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the father of our lord jesus christ of whom the whole what is that word heaven. whole what family. family in heaven and what earth. earth is named so according to the bible there is a family and where is this family located is located where on earth. on earth and also in heaven so that's one family and that's why we got this term there is actually a church family which is the same family so when god looks at heaven he sees the church family he sees the family in heaven but when he looks at the church he sees that we're not just an institution we're not just an organization we are called by the bible to be a church family what do you say huh? amen yeah. so we got to get that mindset i'm trying i'm trying to give a little foundation here to lead us to where we're going to be going Okay, now let's turn to another text here that's found in 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 1 and 2. 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 1 and 2. How are we to treat each other in the church? Notice what it says again. The Bible says, Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a what? Father. And the younger men as what? Brethren, brothers. The other women as what does it say? Mothers, the youngest as sisters with all what purity. Okay, so here we have it again that the Bible is saying that there is father, mother, brother, and sister. So when you hear these terms, father, mother, brother, and sister, what word comes to your mind? Family. Family again, right? And not only family, but so if God, God was thinking this. Not only is the home family where you, where you live, what God was calling distinctive um, terms like father, mother, brother, and sister, but God is also calling the church as um, a family with fathers, mothers, and brothers, and sisters. And what is he trying to do here? He's trying to say this, that the same principles that apply to, for a home applies to the church. And the same roles that they had there in the home applies also to the church. Do you see that? Fathers, mothers, brothers, and sisters. Okay, turn me to another text here, and that is found in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. It says here, talking about an elder. It says, an elder must be one that rules well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. In other words, his home must be in order. His home must be doing well. His wife must love him. His children must be obedient, right? Then it says in verse 5, here's the connection between the home and the church. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how can he take care of the church of God? So the problem with the church is, in other words, if you have a man who is a good father, a good um, husband, guess what? You're going to have a good leader in the church, and guess what? The church is going to do well. Does that make sense? Amen? Amen. But if you, what if you have a bad leader in a church? What if you have a person on a church board who's not doing well? Who don't, his own family is messed up. What, what do you think is going to happen in the church family? Huh. Do you see how the churches are hurting right now because the homes are hurting? Our homes are suffering, right? i mean you don't have to look outside into the church you went why is it what's wrong in the church i done i joined youth ministry because i wanted to revive the church i take taking the youth out with me to do youth activities i've um, organized um, evangelistic meetings i brought in bible workers we i did bible studies i did all these things but you're dealing with the symptoms does that make sense like we have to reason from cause to what effect, right? So we're dealing with the symptoms. And if, you, if you're just going to go to church and go, I'm going to start a revival, bring in a great speaker, and maybe do evangelistic meetings and Bible work, you're dealing with the symptoms. It's not, it doesn't solve the problem. I brought in many Bible workers and evangelists and try to do evangelism. And you know what? As soon as they're gone, guess what? The church is still the same. And they've gone up from a little high, and then they kind of maybe gone down, maybe grew a little bit. But you go back to the same old thing. It's almost like I used to be in youth ministry. You have to actually um, think about the next great program to keep the church involved and active again. Are you following me? So what you have to do is you got to go backwards and go, something's wrong in the home. We have to revive the home, and that's what will be going on um, today. Oh, by the way, if you have questions, please write them down. Um, it's being recorded, so at the end, um, you can ask questions. We have a question and answer period. So you think of something, just write it down, and we can go over that later. Okay, look at your handout. Okay, let me share... Let me share my experience. Well, let me share this quotation. Manuscript Releases 42, 1903. He who fails to be a faithful, discerning shepherd in the home will surely fail of being a faithful shepherd of the flock of God in the church. See the connection. So again, you hear in the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy, it keeps pointing back to the home. Unfortunately, you know, we may come from bad homes too. So we think that we can go in there and we're all excited and we're just going to revive it. But we're going external with an external revival. But really we need to deal with our own issues that maybe we have in our life. And um, tonight I'm sharing about healing from our emotional wounds. Uh, because I know that a lot of people are hurting. And they really, um, a lot of people get involved into ministry. I've seen this. They get involved and active in ministry as a way to medicate their pain. I had a Bible worker. I may go off a little bit here, but I had a Bible worker that I had many Bible workers that come to me, and these are hardcore Bible workers. I mean, this present truth, and it was actually old school present truth, and um, they're serious. I mean, they're never go take a day off. I'm just serious Bible workers. I'm kind of like you don't see them anymore, but you know what? Every single one of them, they were hurting. And you know I had Bible workers coming to me when they were leaving, and they say, Pastor. And I would never suspect it. They came up to me and said, Pastor, you know what I was looking for in you? I was looking for a father. They're looking for a father in me. And I was like, on the outside, I've never expected it. Because they're like, if you compare the Bible worker to the church members, the Bible workers were like 10 times more advanced spiritually on the outside. I mean, they're just like dedicated. and like, man, why can't all my members be dedicated as these Bible workers? But when you get on the inside and you realize that these, these intense, hardcore Bible workers, they all came from broken homes. They all have emotional issues. And um, I believe that we have to heal from that, and tonight I'm gonna to be sharing that. But we need to heal from these emotional wounds that we have experienced um, in our lives. And I came to this conclusion that about the church, um, the solution for the church, was that I, had, I was at a con- very conservative church and I was very excited to be there um, when I first went there. And the children were so obedient. You ever seen this? Like, they're very, very obedient. And I just loved that being at that church. Um, and they're so good. But you know what happened? After they left home, they all either left, they're in the church, and they're Laodicean, and they want nothing to do at church, or they're giving the, their parents a hard time. Every single one of them. And then like, wh- I was thinking, what is wrong? I, th- I was trying to figure out what is wrong with the church, and I came to the conclusion, the reason why the church couldn't go, because we used to get a lot of people walking to the church from off the street all the time. I was a um, depressed economy where we were, um, the church is located. And then they're always walking to the church, and like, but they always would leave. They would never stay in the church. And I go, something must be wrong in this church. Something's going wrong that these people are coming to this home, and they're running away. And my only conclusion was that when I went into the, in the, the family's home, I realized, wait a minute, in their homes, guess what? They can't wait to leave the home when they're 18, and they want to run away from home too. Ah, so the same leaders who are in the church, who are leading out the church, and people are coming to the church, and they're running away from the church home, guess what? Their very own children are doing the very same thing in their own home. And that was a connection I saw. And I said, wait, wait a minute, there's something more than just reviving the church externally through um, dealing with the symptoms. In other words, if you're failing in your home, you're going to fail in the church. And this is why our churches are suffering. Now, let's take a look at dating. Turn to Genesis chapter 29, verse 18. Genesis chapter 29, verse 18. What did Jacob say to Laban that he wanted to do? The Bible says in 18, And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And verse 20, And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and it seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. So when he was dating Rachel, Jacob, do you think he was dating several women at a time? What was his purpose according to this text? (laughs) What was his purpose according to this text? To marry her, right? You look at all the stories in the Bible, the sole purpose for dating. We're going to go over this more tomorrow. But the sole purpose for dating was not to play with hearts. You know, the reason why people date today is because they want to have some kind of fulfillment of self in their life some, in some place, right? In the heart. In other words, they want to go out and date because they want to have fun. They want to go on a date because maybe they're pressured by their parents. They, they want to go on a date because they just want to be you know, treated out or enjoy. In other words, they want to be entertained or enjoyed um, going out with someone else. That's why they want to go out dating. But the purpose of dating, the primary purpose of dating is to go out and to find the soulmate that God has for you. What do you say, huh, amen? So this is a primary purpose. So every time in the Bible you see it in dating, it deals with dating and the spirit of prophecy, you're going to see that this is what happened. Notice the spirit of prophecy quotation on your handout. And, and this is, um, you know, when I think of my life in the past, the reason why I'm sharing this, because everything, everything that has in here, and I'm sharing even tomorrow in my three sessions, I think I did everything. So in other words, I did everything wrong. <laughs> I'm not one that's coming to you, I read it, I understood the right way, and I did everything right. I did everything wrong. And you know what? I believed and I listened to everybody. Everyone's telling me like this. You know, we sit around a table and I, we just ask each other, what do, what do you think you should do? What do you think I should do? And everyone gives their opinion, but I, somebody tells me some advice and then I would try it and it would fail. You ever been that before? And they give me some more advice and I tried and I failed. I got so frustrated that I said, there got to be a better way on how to date and how to, how to um, find your soulmate. And that's where I found the Word of God. And this is where it's found, that you can find true happiness. What do you say, huh? Amen? Amen. God's way is always the best, the Bible and the Spirit of Prophets. Notice what it says here. To trifle with hearts is a crime of no small magnitude in the sight of a holy God. And yet some will show preference for young ladies and call out their affections and then go their way and forget all about the words they have spoken and their effect. Has that ever happened, you think? Somebody goes say, you, "Oh, you're such. A, wow, you look so pretty. You know, you're so good looking." And then next thing, they go to another girl. Wow, you're so beautiful, the most beautiful girl I've ever seen in my whole life. Right? You seen that? Wow, you're so cute. You know, I mean, this is like back and forth. What do you think happens to the other person? You're going to this person. You're so beautiful, and this other person that you told. How do you think do you feel if somebody told you you're so cute? And like later on, you find out that he told the same thing to another girl. That she's the most beautiful woman in the world. I mean, how do you feel? Cheap, right? Hurt. So it says here, a new face attracts them and they repeat the same words, and they devote to another the same attentions. This does not happen. Does not Michelle date several men at the same time calling out their affections and breaking some of the hearts in the process? That does not happen in today's dating culture, right? So it's happening today. And then it says here, notice what it says here, though. It doesn't stop in dating. If you're going to marry someone who's like this, who likes to date around, she said, this disposition will reveal itself in the married life. The marriage relation does not awake, always make the fickle mind firm, the wavering steadfast, and true the principle. In other words, if you think you're going to marry someone that's, you know, he's, he kind of dates around and sees um, who, the kind of right person he's going to marry, that is not the person that you really want to marry. You want to marry someone who is from the beginning says, I'm going to be committed to you. I'm going to test to see if you're the right person or not. All right? We're going to go more into that tomorrow. Now, let me bring the parallel here. Is this not the same thing that's happening in our churches today? In other words, are not God's people afraid of commitment? You know, the church is God's bride or the woman, right? And um, we're not to date for fun and for entertainment, but we should date one woman at a time. In the same way, in the God's remnant church, so not we settle down and marry God's church and stay committed to God's church. What do you say, amen? In other words, we shouldn't be church hopping to a different woman every Sabbath. What do you say, Amen. amen. Are you seeing the culture of the world? What we're practicing in our lives is applying to whatever happened to commitment. Whatever happened, I say, hey, look, I'm committed to you. We're going to work this out. One woman, one church, one, let's work this out. And if it is, I'm going to be committed for life, right? Commitment. Whatever happened to that? Why, do we not, why are we so fickle? Why are we not steadfast? Why don't we just stick to one church? I'm going to be committed to this church. Why do we leave all the work to 20% of the church members to do 80% of the work? Well, 80% of the members don't do anything, right? Why do we do that? And then we burn ourselves out, right? Why do we allow ourselves? Where where do we even get that? We're lacking commitment today. And God's people need to be committed to one woman, God's church. What do you say, huh? Amen? Amen. You know, um, look at your handout here, the quotation here. You know, in Hawaii, before we go there, we have luau's. You know luau's are? is a big party. And in Hawaii culture, the people of Hawaii in the families, they get together, and everyone in the past used to come together, and they used to actually chip in to work together. And it's called hana laulema. In other words, uh, many hands make light work. Everyone works, works together. But in the recent um, years, you've seen a, a change in direction where not everyone is helping out in the luau. What you're seeing is that a few people are doing the work and the majority of people are not even working. And um, there's something there about working together. You know, one of our churches is thinking of remodeling the church and we're thinking about it. And, you know, in the culture of Hawaii, I thought it was pretty uh, inspiring is that the most important thing about a party or luau is not the luau. I know that sounds crazy to you, but it's not the luau. It's a luau preparation. Because that's when you sit down with your uncles and aunties and you go, so auntie, how are you doing? And that's where the bond really happens. On the day of the party, you really see each other, you're so busy and everything. But the bond, in other words, so we're building a church and I say, you know what? The most important thing about the church is not the completed project. The most important thing about the church is that let's do the work ourselves and let's bond and really bond with the real church, God's people, what do you say, amen? That's just the building. But God's church is the people and it's bond as a, as a church. And so you're seeing a, a, a trend away from commitment, away from members actually doing the work. You know, most of the churches were built by the, I think most of the churches in Hawaii, all the churches on our island where I'm from were all built by the members. The members built the church. The trend is that The people they want to pay out and have someone else. It's like the paying out to hire someone to cater the food, right? They want someone else to do it so they don't have to work. They think it's easier and faster. But you know, I learned this: the easy way is not always the best and the fastest way. You know, it may be sound easier to pay someone to do the work, but in the long run, actually, it's going to hurt the church. The church is not going to be a family. So notice what it says here. This is a handout, and the quotation says here. It says. Many of the members of our large churches, I'm not going to ask who's from a large church here, but notice what it says here. Many of our members of our large churches are doing comparatively nothing. They might accomplish a good work if instead of crowding together, they would scatter into places that have not yet been erected by the truth. Jump down to the bowl many of the members are dying spiritually for want of this very work they're becoming sickly and inefficient transplanted they would have room to grow strong and vigorous is this not true all some big churches i had people tell me that they go to you know they go to big churches so they can hide so no one asks them to do anything in a church that may not be true with you but you know in a small church you cannot hide is that true look <laughs> They're going to get you to do everything, right? Four or five positions and maybe burn you out in the process. But you're going to stay busy, right? But in a big church, you know, I had um, recently the head elder for another church, a large church on our island. He said the elder got up in front of everyone, and he pointed at someone, and he said to him, it's so nice to have you, brother in our church to visit us today. And the, and the guy got offended because he'd been a member of that church for 20 years. <laughs> The fact that that member for 20 years, he was there longer than the elder was on the platform. <laughs> Do you see how large churches can you can that be a family really? If you don't even know each other, I mean, just throwing these thoughts out here. If we really are a family, how can you be a family with several thousand members and you don't even know someone? I know someone who came to a large church and he went out. Uh, she actually, she came late, so she parked on the other side of the church and came into the side that she didn't normally come in through. And as she came into that side, they go, oh, welcome to our church. (laughs) And she's been a member for um, a long time. Do you see how, like, large churches, is that conducive for a family to grow? Not so. And I think Ellen White mentioned that, that that's why it's important to leave these large churches and maybe go to a place where transplant into a place that's more uh, smaller church we need to stop dating so many women and learn what it means to be committed to the apple of God's eye for when we are in love with God we'll be in love with his church and serve her with all our hearts what do you say amen that's what we need turn me to 2nd Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14 to 17 the second principle of dating 2nd Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14 and 17 2nd Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14 to 17 you know what the Bible says the Bible says be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness and what communion has light with darkness okay I'm going to stop there in other words, don't date someone. Um, Pastor Waller mentioned it this morning. Don't date someone where you're unequally yoked, right? Now I'm just going to jump to the principle of what it applies to. Um, look at your handout. And Spirit of Prophecy backs it up. It says, Never should God's people venture upon forbidden ground. Marriage between believers and unbelievers is forbidden by God. But too often the unconverted heart follows its own desires. And marriages unsanctioned by God of form. Because of this, many men and women are without hope and without God in the world. So it's important that you're not unequally yoked. Now what is the parallel in the church? Now we're looking at dating here. So what is the parallel in the church? And this is what I've seen. This is a Spirit of Prophecy quotation. Talking about putting people into leadership who are not believers but who are unbelievers. It says here, It takes time for character to be developed. There must be time to learn what men really are. The family of the one suggested for office should be considered. Are they in subjection? Can a man rule his own house with honor? What character have his children where they do honor to the father's influence? If he has no tact, wisdom, or power, godliness at home in managing his own family, it is safe to conclude that the same defects will be carried into the church and the same unsanctified management will be saying there, it will be far better to criticize the man. You know, I mean, to hear Ellen White talk about criticizing someone? It'd be far better to criticize the man before he's put into office than afterward. Better to pray and counsel before taking a decisive step than to labor to correct the consequences of a wrong move. And these are pretty strong words. And yet, I have seen godless men and women who, who do not love God, put into god's remnant church and then we wonder why our churches are suffering true people involved in politics in the church and we just you know sometimes the churches there's no one wants to be committed right so what do they do they actually grab anyone who comes to that door and says please 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 will you be our deacon we really need someone you ever seen that happen before has it ever happened to you Please, please, please be be an elder. We need an elder. We only have one elder in this church. We really need you to come into our church. And so we're mingling believers with unbelievers. You know, in one of my churches, I had uh, this church that started revival and was doing very well. And I was so desperate for leadership. You know, we're so desperate that we allowed people to come into leadership on a church board and as elders into the church. And I knew in the back of my mind that they didn't believe, one of them didn't believe uh, truly in the spirit of prophecy. Other people didn't believe, um, they say they believe that like, Bible spirit of prophecy, but in their actions, they didn't believe that way. And you know, that was the greatest mistake of my life. And I learned this from God and from the spirit of prophecy. You know what? in the spirit of prophecy, she says that if you fail a test, God's going to bring it around again the second time, but only larger. And if you fail it, guess what? He's going to bring it around again, but even bigger the third time. And you know what? I pay a lot for my past bad decisions. I'm sure many of you do also. And so here I'm in this church, and I had to confront this leadership. I mean, these were sh- very strong, strong strong-willed people, Uh, one of the most strongest-willed people I've ever met in the church, and they're in the leadership. I finally had to confront them. They eventually, um, they chose, they left the church, you know, and one of them said, um, they told me that, they told our new-coming treasurer that was coming in, they told her that the church is going to crumble. No, that was two years ago, and the church is way better without them than with them, unfortunately. But do you see how they, if you put these people into the leadership positions, I mean, you think, because you just want anyone in there to help out with the work, right? But actually, it's better to me, I rather, one church I have, I have one elder now. i rather have one elder who's consecrated than have seven, eight, nine, ten who are not consecrated. Does that make sense, right? Amen? And you're going to see a lot of problems. And these people are not being, doing well in their homes. You can see it in their homes. The homes are suffering. And what are they doing? They're bringing that into the church. And the church is also suffering also. Okay, let's look at marriage. Um, Colossians chapter 3, verse 19 in your Bible. Colossians chapter 3, verse 19. What should husbands do? Colossians chapter 3, verse 19. The Bible says, husbands, what? Love your wives. Love your wives. Okay, first Turn me to Titus chapter 2, verse 4. So husbands are to love their wives. Titus chapter 2, verse 4. The Bible says, talking about the older women teaching the younger women, it says that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their what? husbands. So husbands and wives are to love each other. What do you say, huh? Amen? Titus chapter 2, verse 4. So they are to love each other. Both of them are called to love and respect one another. In our home, every week, we have something called a family meeting. Once a week after our, one of our meals, we get together, and my wife, my daughter, myself, and we talk about what we would like to see happen in our home, the future, the, the duties of the week, the next coming week. And that's that actually one of my favorite parts of my daughter because she actually has a say. And she has a vote actually in the family meeting. And she can vote. Um, <laughs> you like that, right? <laughs> she, she really likes that. And she goes, she reminds us, Daddy, today is family meeting, right? Because <laughs> she, she really wants to um, have a vote. And Light talks about that, right? Inside of even the schools, that the students should have a voice in the school also. So in every aspect, are we making the rules of the school? So when you have ownership, you're gonna make sure that the rules are followed. That's the principle that she brings out. So it's very important to have that unity and love where we respect one another. In the same way, the spiritual parents or the church leadership also needs to love and respect each other and be in unity. I'm telling you this: if the parents are not in unity, the home is not gonna be in unity. In other words, Adam and Eve were created first, right? And then the children came along. We cannot bypass husband and wife to jump to the children and try and love them to try and raise them in a godly way. It doesn't work. When, while there's still disunity with mom and dad. What do you say, huh? Amen? So we bring that into the church. Let's apply it to the church. If there's disunity within a church, it's going to hurt the church. The church is going to suffer. There is a... I had experience, and let me share experience of uh, some discipline that happened just recently in our church. I had to discipline this one person because he was getting obnoxious in church. People were leaving the church. So it was a serious situation. And so I had to approach him. And I approached him, Matthew 18. I like following Matthew 18, one on one first. And when I did that, he got upset at me. Because, you know, he's been the longest person in the whole church. You know, longer than me. So um, I've been in that church 13 years. And so he got really upset at me. And then he mostly calmed down and um, just kind of stopped doing what he did. But he still was doing a few things I asked him not to do. So I felt I need to deal with him. But the, here's the problem. This is my fault. I didn't talk to mom and dad. I didn't talk to mom and the other board members. Last minute, I pulled them, come with me, and I'm going to talk to this um, obnoxious church member so I went there and I talked to him but what happened was one or two of the board members they weren't really with me in a discipline what do you think that does to like say at home in a child you're trying to discipline your child and mom cuts you off and says don't be too harsh on her what do you think that's going to happen this guy went ballistic he started screaming and yelling and this is right before Sabbath school. There's people in the church heard, and they were praying for us because they heard. Can you imagine that? Because why? Mom and dad were not together. Do you see how it's important that we love, respect, and be together in unity? What do you say, huh? Amen? That's why if mom and dad are not together in the home, that home is messed up. It doesn't matter if one, it doesn't matter if dad even spends a lot of time with the children. You need to have unity with mom and dad first, and then the child comes second. You know, you have a lot of parents. Maybe they have a bad relationship with, between each other and mom will pull away from dad and dad's too busy working and sh- she'll try and spoil the child, right? Thinking that spending all that time with a child will help that child out. But children need to see unity and respect between mom and dad. If that's clear, let me hear you say amen. Amen? amen. The Honakop, one of the churches I'm at, there's a, we have a board and we have board meetings. These are the most spiritual Events um, that I experience. You know, when I go to the this is actually the only meeting I go to that I actually enjoy the church board meeting. How many guys actually? How many here are on church boards? Let me see your hand. How many actually love your church board meetings? <laughs> Nobody, huh? You love it? Okay, okay, good. This board, I go when I go to this board is so spiritual. In fact, we just put focus on the spiritual, and all the other business kind of just follows into place. And here's the issue. We never vote by majority vote. We vote by 100% consensus. In other words, mom and dad, we need to be together. In our home, we got to be together. We're not gonna, in other words, it's better to do nothing and be in unity than to do everything and be in disunity. Because we don't see unity today, right? Isn't that beautiful? We don't make any decision, and we're all in unity and harmony. You know when I tell people that, they're like, wow <laughs> because especially those who've been on church boards and you, know, you think about even the u.s constitution like in the great controversy it says that uh, the the u.s constitution was divinely inspired right mm-hmm. within the constitution there are votes that's not 50 50 right there's two-thirds majority that needs to happen and you know what that was put there and also the filibuster you know what that was put in there to protect the minority and guess what's going to happen to the minority of Seventh-day Adventists in the last days? That's, the protection of the Constitution was meant to protect the minority of those who are going to be religiously oppressed in the last days, especially in the National Sunday Law, right? So that's why even a simple majority of 51 percent, I mean, that is, to me, that is not good. That is not good. I'd rather work by consensus. I think it's the best. I'd rather have the family be together. And not doing so many things and doing less. What do you say, huh? Amen? Okay, let's go to uh, what, another text here. Amos chapter three, three. Amos chapter 3, verse 3. Amos chapter 3, verse 3. Amos chapter 3, verse 3. Can two walk together except they be what? Agree. Agree. So, can two people walk together if they're not agreed? No. In order for the church to walk together, they have to agree. The, the body has to be in agreement with one another. So, um, God wants us to learn. And, and by the way, here's another principle. Children know which parent they can go to to get their way. What do you say? Huh? Amen you probably did that when you was a child right so if a child comes up to you and says can we go to the beats today what should you say yes automatically what is the best thing you think you should say did, did you ask your mom about it yet? <laughs> and then She's going to say, yeah. And then you're already going to know that if she already asked mom and she's asking you, then you already know that what? Mom said said what? Mom said no. (laughs) You don't want to counteract mom or dad, right? Same thing in the church. People go to one leader, they can say no, right? They go to another leader to get their way. And that's why the leadership of the church, they have to be in unity. They have to walk together together. And agree. If that's clear, let me say amen. 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 Okay. Let's go to let's go to parenting. Okay, so we did dating, we did marriage, and now we're gonna to go to parenting. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. In the Bibles. What are we to do? The Bible says And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. In other words, fathers, parents, you need to nurture your children. You need to teach your children, right? Uh, Many young people today are not being nurtured. You know, today, young people today are not being taught hardly anything. You know I, know, I know a girl that was eight years old. Eight years old. And every time she would take a bath, she had to call, Mom, come, I'm ready. And the mom had to come and turn on the hot and cold for her and mix the water for her before she would take a bath. Every single night. Aren't our children being spoiled today? They're not being taught how to do things. They're not being taught how to cook how to clean, how to fix cars. I mean, a lot of children today don't know the practical skills that actually needs to be um, learned in order to make it out in this world. Now, I had a friend that works for the Salvation Army boys' home. And as he's at this boys' home, and he's uh, he met this one boy. He was trying to ask him to make a ham and cheese sandwich. Forgive me for saying ham and cheese today, right? <laughs> <laughs> so he asked I mean, this year the other principal. He asked him to make a ham and cheese sandwich. And this, this boy gave him an attitude. and wanted to fight him, and he took off his shirt and wanted to fight this, my friend. And I think, wow, what's, why did he get all upset? Why is this boy all mad at me for asking him to make a ham and cheese sandwich? Do you know what he found out? He got upset because he didn't know how to even make a ham and cheese sandwich. Can you imagine? I know it's an extreme example. Can you imagine? that he didn't know how to make a ham and cheese salad. I mean, a lot of us here don't know how to make it either, but (laughs) you get the point, right? (laughs) Yeah. But he didn't know how to do all these principles. And so a lot of the young people today, they're not being nurtured. They're not being taught. So what is the principle here? I want to apply it to our church. You see, another thing also, by the way, young people today just want to have sex and babies. A lot of them anyway. And not only that, but they enjoy having sex and they get excited about having babies. You know when they bring a new baby to the church, right? Everyone's all excited, but they enjoy having these babies. But here's the problem. The problem is that they don't want, though they want to have sex and have babies, they don't want to raise up the children. True? They don't want to nurture the children. So who's raising up these children now? Grandparents, Grandparents. right? TV. TV right, TV is a free babysitter, right, to the children, so they're raising up, parents are working, they're trying to make money, right, and so they want to have babies, they want to have sex, but they don't want to raise up their children, they don't want to nurture them, they don't want to teach them, it's easy to have babies, you know, it's easy to have babies, but it's very hard to raise them, and not just raise them, but to raise godly children, that's a total, that's a big difference, right. And it's very hard to raise godly children. You know, in Hawaii, this, we just have this trend that's happening. Because the grandparents are raising the children, they're calling the grandfathers now, Papa, I don't really do that here, Papa, and the, mother, the grandmother, they're calling Mama. And that's just a trend I didn't grow up with, but now it's happening in Hawaii, that they're being raised by their grandparents. In other words, parents are neglecting their duties of raising their children. Someone saw that now they're depending, they're putting a the whole weight upon the teachers in the school to do it. And the teachers are the ones who are uh, really suffering. And actually, that's my, I want we oversee, I oversee a church school also. And so my thing is, I know that parents are looking for the teachers to teach them morals, ethics, etiquette. So when we advertise, we let them know that we, we want to teach our children um, etiquette, you know, things that they should be teaching them because they know that they're not doing it, but they know that they need it. And that's a good way to uh, really reach the parents today. But think about this. So they want to have sex, they want to have babies, then what is a parallel? The same thing is happening in our churches. In other words, we like to have spiritual sex, evangelistic meetings, and produce spiritual babies, right? Because you're born of a mother's child of the flesh, and you were born, what? Again, spiritually. In other words, we like to have baptisms. That's what we want in our churches. We want the numbers. We want to baptize as much people we want, bring them to the church, and see. oh, let's get so excited about the new spiritual babies being born into the church, and count, wow, there are ten souls that are baptized into our church. But guess what? Nobody wants to raise and nurture these children. No one wants to mentor these children in the church. No one wants to disciple these, these children in church. And you really can't blame the parents because how can you ask the parents to do something they have never done for their children? So I, I was thinking about you can't really blame the parents. How, in fact, how can I even ask them to nurture these, these new people who have been born into the church family when their own children had not been nurtured themselves? Are you seeing that? And that's why the parallels of why the churches are suffering is seen in because the homes are suffering. Do you see that? We need to get back to nurturing and mentoring and discipling our children. What do you say, amen? amen. My, child was, my daughter was five and we were teaching her how to, I guess I see so much, I'm on the front lines, I see so much out there, I guess I go to the other extreme, right, when I see that. So at five, you know, she's doing all the laundry, Washing it, drying, and folding it on her own. You know, she got it down and packed at five. I'm teaching her, she knows how to cook meals on her own, healthy, vegan, tasty. By memory, already about three dishes or so right now. I mean, she she cooks for us. (laughs) Because that's, you know, I wanted to be a productive member of society, not a burden upon society. Not dependent upon the government to help her out or other people to cook for her or do other things, right? I want her to be well-prepared. And if she ever gets married, she's going to be well-prepared for marriage. I think we need to train and nurture and mentor and disciple our children. What do you say, huh? Amen? Amen? And then after that, guess what? When we have practice with mentoring and discipling our children, guess what? When we go out into the church, we're going to be able to mentor and disciple the members. And if you don't mentor and disciple the members in the church, guess what's going to happen? They're going to be not so strong into the faith, and they're going to run away from church. I always tell the members, to say, look, the problem with the, the families is never the children's fault. I know this is hard to hear for parents. But if you see a problem in a church, it is never the children's fault in the home. It is always the parents' fault. In other words, if if there's a failure in my daughter, I take full responsibility. And that's a strong words to say. And I know we take full responsibility. But same thing goes in a church. I tell the church board leaders, the parents, spiritual parents of the church, I say to them, if there ever is a problem in a church, it is never the children's fault It's our fault as leaders. And it keeps the leadership humble, right? To get on our knees and pray for our spiritual children in the church. And we need to mentor them and disciple them. And we need a lot more of that in our church because we're not seeing it. What do you say, huh? Amen? Amen? So let's mentor. The problem is where do we begin, right? Where do we begin? Because our church, you look at our churches. People are getting baptized, but they don't even know what our message is, right? No one is taking them under their wing anymore and, and, and discipling them. I was fortunate to have one man that To this day, he still mentors me. I haven't seen him for a while, like 15 years, and now we're serving on the same committee together. And as we fly together, he's mentoring me all over again. And you know, I think that I learned as much as I could. I probably learned everything he already knew already, but he's actually teaching me even more things. Can you imagine a spiritual father or a spiritual mother that our children can go up to in church and actually learn and grow from? Wouldn't that be beautiful? You know, when I was a young kid, I always wanted to have somebody to look up to spiritually. And it was very hard to find that within the church. But we need to become that person. I need to become that person. Don't you want that? What do you say, huh? Amen? Turn me to Isaiah chapter 3, verse 12. Isaiah chapter 3, verse 12. Isaiah chapter 3 verse 12 and what did God say was happening in his church, in the Jewish church. The Bible says, as for my people, my people, children are their oppressors and women rule over them. I want to focus on this first part. Tomorrow we focus on the second part. But the first part here is children are their oppressors. In other words, back then in a Jewish church, when they were, when this was said to them, the children, when they wanted to go to the store, they would scream their heads off because they wouldn't get the candy that they wanted. Back then in this church, and even in our church today, you know, if the children want to stay home from church and watch cartoons, they're allowed to do so. Back in our church, in our churches today, you know, if, the t- if a student wants to disrespect their teachers, they'll not only get away with it, but they'll get their teachers in trouble. Mm-hmm. Is that not also happening also today? The children are disrespecting their leadership and adults today. Now, um, you know, discipline is looked as negative, but Revelation three nineteen says, "As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten." What's another for chasten? discipline in other words discipline is loving what do you say amen Amen. discipline is beautiful in other words you don't really love your child unless you actually discipline your child i know that goes contrary to what's being taught out there but discipline is very loving there was a member we disciplined and he was upset that we disciplined and that sabbath i disciplined this member uh, that was actually the sabbath that was a big disruption in the church Right? And he was all screaming and yelling. And then, but you know what? That Sabbath, I I felt really oppressed of what happened. So I got on my knees in my office and I was praying to God, please, I I don't want to be a hindrance to your people. I want God's love to flow out through me to reach the people's hearts. I want that to happen. So I'm pleading with God. And then um, that Sabbath was probably one of the highest Sabbath I've ever experienced. Not only because of, um, my preaching but it was actually it was the Sabbath school it was very powerful the song service was powerful, the testimonies were powerful we had a church business meeting that night it was powerful with the testimonies it was very inspiring the whole day and then I remember going to a couple of people and I said to them, wow wasn't that amazing that in spite I said in spite of what happened God's still blessed right and you know what two people said to me two different people at two, two different times They said, no, 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 God didn't bless in spite of what happened, God blessed because of what happened. In other words, God blessed because you did the discipline. Because people are feeling like, wow, am I only one? Is this member like totally disrupting the church and making everyone feel guilty and um, sad? And am I only one? They feel like the uneasiness because of what this member is doing. And they're looking around, wow, where's mom and dad? How come brother is over here is doing whatever he wants? And they're getting irritated and hurt. In other words, they would say, and they said to me this, they said it should have been done a long time ago. In other words, our churches do not discipline anymore, right? Why is that? Because you go back to the home. Are our parents disciplining anymore? No, they're not. So what's happening in the home, again, is affecting what's happening in the church. One text. Turn to Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. This is the last message right before Jesus came the first time and also before his second coming. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. The Bible says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the, what? Children, and the heart of the children to their, what? Fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. I want you to notice that in this text, God's going to turn the hearts of the children to the fathers first. Which one goes first, the children to the fathers or the fathers to the children? So the fathers to the children, in other words, God's going to turn the fathers, in other words, the hearts need to turn from the fathers to the children. Isn't that the gospel also? In other words, God the Father initiates and he actually loves you first, and then because he loves you first, initiates, then we respond by loving him in return. What do you say, amen? Amen. And that's the gospel. In the same way in the home, what needs to happen is that parents need to love their children first. They need to show love. They need to nurture and discipline and also to mentor and disciple them. And when they do that, guess what? The children are going to respond. In other words, my goal is to, I feel my goal as a man at the home is to win the heart of my wife. It's to win the heart of my, my daughter. You know, I've seen so much kids are so obedient when they're at home, but the moment, to me, the real test is this. You can tell if they're good parents or not. It's not how the kids look when they're living at home. It's what happens when they leave the home. That's how you can tell a good parent. You can look externally obedient on the outside, but I've seen that happen so many times that when they leave home, it was all external being. And when mom and dad is not there as the external police to conf- make you conform, there's no external pressure to do good because we want internal change from the inside, right? So when that's taken away, guess what happens? They go crazy out there because they never learn self-government. They never learn self-control right on the inside. And that's what we want to teach our children. That's more important, the inside rather than the outside. So Malachi, that's the gospel. That's when I end with this story. I shared this morning about 13 years ago, I had two churches and this one church. And I was, I came on too strong. I know I did. And I was preaching it very strong. And I felt that I was right because I was preaching the Bible, the Spirit of Prophecy, and I was rebuking the people and the members, and um, they, they hated me. This one church, they hated me. They want nothing to do with me. Finally, I had an opportunity to get away, and I, I was glad I got away from this church. I mean, I spent almost three years and I got out of this church. And then I got another church. I got another church, and I was working with this church and then uh, I really liked it, and then two years ago here's the principle of Ellen White bringing it around, bringing it around even bigger the second time God worked it out where I lost that one church and I went back to the church I was 13 years ago. So I'm here at this church, and I was with the, the conference president and I are really close now. So I was like, please, I was begging him. I was like, "Please don't send me back to the church. You can't send me to back to the church." And I said, well, Cal, I mean, there's no other churches available right now. And I said, and at this time he offered me another church like several months before. And I turned it down. Because they, they don't they don't assign pastors. They let you go where you want to go now, before they used to assign you. But because of the economy being bad, they had to redistrict, so they just changed the church, the districts and different churches in the district. So I was forced to go to the church. And then I even put my property. I was running away from God. I put my property on the market. I'm like, God, please. I'm looking for a sign. And the sign came. I felt the sign came because somebody came and um, wanted to buy a property and more than what we wanted. The economy had already gone down for the housing market. And so I was excited. It went into escrow. I was even more excited. It stayed one whole year in escrow. And then it fell out. And this guy really wanted it. I said, okay, God, I'm, I'm tired of running. I felt like I was Jonah. I'm tired of running from you. I know you want me to stay in this church. So okay, I need to make the best of it. When I went to this church, okay, I need to make the best of it, make it a better church. So I got very involved, active. Then I got a call from the head elder. The head elder said to me, I wanna have, have a meeting with you. And then I said, okay, what's it about? And I said, said, uh, we're not gonna tell you. <laughs> you know it's not good already, right? So I said, there's several of us wanna to talk to you. So I, if you were here for morning worship, you know I get in trouble a lot, right, with the churches. So anyway, I went to the, uh, this meeting, and I was just praying, my heart was heavy, and they just, they just kinda went off on of me. And this is what they were saying. They said, you're, at, you're doing things without permission. And I said, I did get permission for every single thing I did, but not from the person that wanted me to get the permission from. And they realized at the end that, you know, they're contradicting themselves. But I said, okay, so they said, we don't want to do anything else in this church. And, like, I thought about it, like, what church would tell the pastor, like, you don't have to do anything more in this church? So, like, I was so hurt because I'm giving my heart to this church and they didn't want me to do anything. Which actually was a blessing because I was, I was too busy anyway. I said, well, I'm going to pull back totally. And God convicted me that the same thing happens in your home. You need to learn this lesson in a church and that I was set out, I said, I need to win the hearts of the church leadership. I need to win the hearts of these, the, the leadership, the church board. I need to win them because they don't, they hate me. I need to love these people. So one by one, I said, I need, I started trying to reach out to the, the board members. And You know, God worked miracles. One by one, the heart started softening, and I was able to win the hearts one by one. There's one member who really hated me from 13 years ago. She was still uh, there. And I remember going, before I went to the board meeting, our first board meeting, I said to her, look, I want to apologize for the past. I don't want the bad relationship we have between each other to hurt this church. Because I don't want what's between us to harm the body. And I want to reconcile with you. And then, anyway, she said, I accept your apology. And we, you know, we, we hugged, and it was, it was a blessing. And then next week, she came up to me and says, you know, I realized it wasn't really your fault. Of what happened in the past. And I um, just wanted to let you know that. And I said, you know what? God's been teaching me that I need, God brought me back to this church because he wants me to learn lessons. And this church is my teacher. And she said, it takes a real man to say that. And she started crying. And then I said, you know, I thought to myself, you know, there is no real man in me, but only the man Jesus Christ, because there's no good within me anyway. <laughs> but God reconciled us. I was able to help them heal in certain issues with abuse. And now um, the whole board, right now the latest thing is that the whole board, every single person, we're all in unity in that church right now. And that was the lesson God had to teach me. In other words, we were out of love. We hated each other in a church, the parents of the church. And yet we fell back in love with each other. And here's the principle back in the home. Even if mom and dad or husband and wife hate each other, there is still hope in Jesus Christ. What do you say, Amen god can heal he can restore but no one wants to try was it easy no it was hard i would go to the board meetings i would sit down and sit for like almost two years i put my head down and i wouldn't say anything and i just pray the whole time one prayer though for the next three hours or two hours and i'll just say god please humble me god please humble me over and over and over again and that's what god wants he wants people to humble themselves right and surrender their, their lives to jesus So I want to challenge us that so we want to establish a revival in the church when we revive the home. This message is produced by a Loud and Clear Call Ministries. Our mission is to uplift God's character of love through the preaching and teaching of the everlasting gospel in this generation. For more information on our ministry and the resources we provide, please go to our website at www.allowedandclearcall.org. That's www.allowedandclearcall.org. Mahalo and God bless.